Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Ellich, and this is Skylines, the City Metric podcast. It's an absolutely glorious day in London, by which I mean it's just completely pissing it down. So this seemed like a really good opportunity to talk about fun things you can do in the outside world. <laughs> what could be more appropriate than that? To do that, I am joined by the New Statesman's uh, newly minted Britain editor. That hasn't been announced yet, so <laughs> so that's an exclusive for your podcast, John. <laughs> Is that, should we cut this bit? No, let's leave it. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. New, news for you launch. guys. Yeah, soft launch <laughs> for Anusha's new job. And also reasonably newly minted co-host of the New Statesman podcast. Yeah. Anusha Kellyan, hello, how are hello. you doing? Hi, good, thanks. I really, that lovely plug. Yeah, I really should have got you on here before now, because we, we basically joined the NS the same week, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we're NS twins. I yeah, think. we are, really, yeah. which is which is nice, because as, as with most people around here, I'm quite a lot older than you. <laughs> so, so twins is, is nice. We're also recording this, not for the first time, on, on a phone, because of some, some kind of internal technical incident, which we won't go into. But as I say, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the outside, and you sure a big fan of outdoor gyms. Yeah, so I've been doing this thing for a while now, nearly a year, called Our Parks, which is a sort of sports scheme that uses public parks, not just in London, but across the country, for gym classes. So they basically pay gym instructors the proper amount of money, and these people are proper professional people, but then you can go for free to these classes whenever you want, whenever you have the time, wherever in your borough or outside of your borough, if you if you want to do it near or elsewhere, that you can get to. So the reason I started was because I really don't like gyms. I hate them. I've never been a proper member of a gym I just think they're like they're sort of like horrible sweaty Mm. but brightly lit nightclubs with lots of intimidating people in them they're very expensive you're never gonna make it to the gym that often unless you're a real fanatic so I've never really wanted that to be my arena of exercise so I quite like the idea that there's a few parks around where I live and I can just like 
go down whenever I feel like it and go and do a proper gym class where you basically outsource the psychological torment of making yourself do exercise to someone else who tells you to do exercise. So it's, is... it's an actual class, someone's yeah. like shouting at you to do the right yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, gently sort of trying mm. to persuade you to do the right thing. Because <laughs> I, what, what we're doing is sort of like unexpected confessions on Skylines. I, I have recently been going to a gym. Oh, very wow. Very off brand. Oh, okay. Well, I take uh, back all of my... No, but no, I, I'm completely with you. Like <laughs> There is one in the building next to my flat okay um, which I meant to join as soon as I moved in in November and it took me seven months to kind of work up the nerve to actually just because I knew it'd be horrible yeah and the first time I said I just thought I, I, will, I will kind of fool myself I will like join it on the internet and then I will just go once and then that'll be like annoying and, and irritating but you know I'll have done it and then it'll be fine yeah and then the fob that they sent me didn't work so a gift I had from to, God. So I had to speak to someone to let me in, and then he insisted on showing me. And I was so rude to this poor guy because I was just <laughs> like, "No, it's fine. I don't need to know anything. Just go away. Leave me alone." Because <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't want another human being to acknowledge me in a gym setting. Yeah. And then I pumped into him in Sainsbury's later. It was really awful. Anyway, <laughs> but but after that, it was kind of it was kind of fine. Oh, um, good. And actually, yeah, it's just like you know, you just go there, you do half an hour, and then. Although it has got weird recently that people have started trying to talk to me and I don't really like that. I'm still very much, I don't want anyone to acknowledge my existence. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, that's my, so that's a good thing. So this is a big part of my enthusiasm for sort of outdoor gym classes and free sort of community gym things is that people do end up talking to you because you generally meet the same people each week or each class that you do. And I think that meeting people in your area, not through work or through your social life, is quite an unusual thing these days. Mm. I mean, we've been talking a lot about it in the New Statesman office for a new series that we're going to be reporting on, which is about the lack of public space that there is, particularly in city environments now, what with, you know, libraries closing, community centres closing, youth clubs, all due to cutbacks from the austerity agenda from over nearly 10 years ago now. And also, you know, pubs closing, two pubs close a day, I think. So it's, yeah. it's weirdly like the kind of places where you would rub shoulders with people who live in your area, but who aren't necessarily from your close circle is, is kind of disappearing. And with that support network. Yeah, it is sort of weird that like the Tories, the party that like claims it's all about kind of like the importance of communities and mm. like, you know, that takes a village and all that nonsense. Exactly, it's just like yeah. totally undermined all those kind of structures by privatising everything. And you know the thing about um, private public space? Yes, yeah. Which is a growing issue in London. These bits that just look like part of the streetscape but are in fact private estates where like there are security guards who can throw you out of Canary Wharf if they want to. Yeah. Even though it's like, you know, a big chunk of the city, it's still technically owned by a bunch of private investors and they um, and people can just get rid of you if they don't like you. And that's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, and that's kind of happening in areas... I think it's happening in places where sort of there are big new housing developments as well. So you'll get these sort of public looking squares. They might even be labelled like that, but actually they're just for the people who have managed to buy mm. flats in that development. That's the kind of theme of these public and in inverted commas spaces that are moving in where other kind of more traditional spaces are disappearing. There was a horrible story a while back about some kind of new housing development. It's one of those that's kind of mixed. So it's social mm -hmm. housing, but also some private ones, kind of just cross-subsidy thing. Yeah. But that had like a playground for the private owners, which was visible from the social housing windows, but they weren't allowed to use it. So the poor kids with their faces pressed up against the window of like it's just kind of gross that like anyone kind of could have thought that that was an okay way of 
of doing things. Yeah. It feels like something's gone terribly wrong in society that nobody would look to that and went, uh, guys, we, we shouldn't. Yeah, yes. exactly. I mean, that was a really horrible example of this trend. That was a sort of extreme example as well. I'm so glad it got exposed, but it is happening in other mm. developments as well. The block of flats where I live, they want to build a whole new layer of flats on the top to try and, you know, make money. And to do that for the next three or five years, they need to put the building site in the communal playground where all of the children from the estate play. So with decisions, you know, it doesn't have to be as extreme as, as shutting certain children out of a playground. It can also be the fact that you, you want to make so much use of the space you have that you're you're stopping all the children playing in the one communal bit of space that they actually have. And that just seems to be a trend. And it is a worrying trend because, you know, you need you need to be able to have that human contact for a, for a community to be able to work. I went recently to East London Mosque where they're sort of soft launching the next census, among other places, to try and reach the people who may be harder to reach to, to fill it in. And the census people there from the ONS were telling me that this time round, compared to the last one in 2011, they're having to look more at virtual spaces, partly because of the trend of how we communicate with each other. Virtual spaces? Yeah, so like... reaching people, you know, through virtual networks oh, rather right, than, okay. you know, saying everyone come to this library and use these computers mm. to, do, to do your form. And that's because of the changing way that sort of society is set up and, and that we interact with each other. Also, for other reasons, too, you know, the, the change in our media, you know, you might not pick up a local paper anymore, for example. So you won't necessarily see the information that you need in that way. So on the outdoor gym thing, mm. like, so what are the kind of people who are using them? Like, is it a reasonably a wide cross section of where are you east, east, east london, london yeah. yeah so everyone who i tell about i'm a bit of an evangelist for this scheme everyone i tell about it is always like oh so that more you know middle class londoners like you can just get a cheaper version or a free version of a gym class and actually it really really isn't like that it's a mm. complete mix anyone can go of any age and east london is a very mixed area as well so it's a big mix of people too and truly in the class that i most regularly do there is there are students leading up to you know retired women who have made friends through that very class and now hang out with each other in the area and i've seen them you know out and about outside of the class context as well so it really is a big mix and i think that's one of the things that most people really like about it this sounds really good. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not my thing for the reasons I discussed. I just I don't want anyone to acknowledge my existence when I'm when I'm trying to exercise. <laughs> I just want to pretend to be invisible. And in fact, the thing I found most useful about going to the gym is, frankly, the the, the, the being surrounded by fit people and mirrors. Yeah, is very motivating in terms of like sort of being honest with yourself about. Anyway, so I don't want to do this, but it sounds like a lot of people do want to do this. Why isn't there more of it? Yeah. So the big problem here is that even with this scheme that I think is really fantastic they are having trouble keeping the funding because they get some sort of money from lucas aid and stuff like that mm. but they also are mainly funded through the councils where they operate the classes and councils don't have that much money for this kind of thing anymore and actually some of the classes in my area have been closing because of that funding being pulled away so i imagine that it i mean from seeing the sort of state that the scheme is in at the moment it is stretching out to other parts of the country but i imagine that it might not be around for 
for that long because of that reason. I mean, is this largely, an, <clears throat> and it's just another austerity thing, right? It's, you know, the graph of doom that like yeah. sooner or later, every bit of local authority money is going to be swallowed by adult social care and there's nothing yeah. left to it. Is it that again, basically? <clears throat> I don't, to be fair, I haven't looked into it in a, in a sort of thorough way yet. So I'm not 100% sure that that's the only factor, but it is nevertheless true that the councils where these classes take place have to, spend money on certain things, so adult social mm. care, children's services. Those are their statutory duties. The cost of those are going up for all sorts of reasons that we probably don't need to discuss here. But that means that it's gobbling up more and more of their budget and they have to stop paying for schemes that are seen as basically less important. They're not obliged by law to run them. Something like a, a communal gym class doesn't sound particularly sort of vital but actually these are the things that are you know we have a loneliness epidemic in this country we have a mental health crisis and lots of people are, are struggling for cash at the moment because of um, because of lots of the things we've talked about but also you know wage stagnation the benefits freeze inflation going up lots of people who might have once been able to go and afford to pay for an expensive gym membership might not anymore so it is something that has, I think, more of a social value than it, than it looks like on the face of it. Mm. But for councils, it's so hard to justify spending money on this stuff. Well, so the point you made about people saying to you, oh, it's just another middle class subsidy. Mm. That is one of those points that kind of comes up a lot in these debates. Yeah. Like, why are we spending money on public services for, for people who can afford to get it privately? But the thing is, that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you don't spend any money on public services that are used by the middle classes it becomes much easier to get rid of those public services right it's like services for the poor become poor services yeah exactly and also it means that you're then sort of excluding a whole you know majority of people from certain activities but I know someone who worked actually in London trying to get more people into sport and they were saying some of the harder to reach groups are pregnant women from working class backgrounds now these classes have mother and baby classes for free in areas where which are generally more deprived so you know that is directly reaching those people rather than taking it away taking the money away taking the space away because actually this isn't for you it's middle class people mm. who do gym classes not you yeah i mean if you kind of look back at you know, one of the one of the blair government's big sort of public policy success stories was sure start centers yeah. for for new mothers and a lot of the criticism of them has been like, oh, they just became, they were just used by by the middle classes. Mm. But that is also kind of why they worked, isn't it? They were like very popular across the, and, and you sort of need to be sort of selling people across the income scale on the fact that public services benefit them as well. It's not just like a subsidy for, for other people. If you kind of want people to buy into the idea of a bigger state, you kind of need everyone to have access to these things. Yeah, exactly. I think that's why universal policies, so policies mm. where you're giving something to everyone regardless of their needs, work quite well. Yes, they are expensive, but they work in the way that they reach everyone. So everyone uses them and everyone gets the same standard of service, which is sort of what we want from an equal society, right? But also it takes away the stigma of maybe using a service that is seen as bog standard or second best or, you know, the bottom of the barrel that only someone like you can can go to because everyone else can afford better. So, yeah, really, if you if you make it universal. Also, it's it, it sort of it's nicer for the way in London that you especially in the part where I live, you have very deprived areas next to very um, affluent areas. It's pretty, it's pretty much like that across mm. London, right? So that kind of inequality is very uncomfortable, particularly with gentrification at such a sort of galloping pace in some of these areas. So it is important to have those, those spaces where 
people from those different parts of London life interact. Yeah. For any form of social solidarity to exist, you kind of need people to feel like they are living in the same society. Exactly. Rather than living parallel lives in the same place. Just one last point on this before we moved Mm. on. We were both at Labour Conference. Yeah. Largely because the New Statesman likes to kind of, you know, rent us out to sort of chair events and panels and so on. And one of the ones I found myself chairing was an event about the future of parks. Okay. uh, Sponsored by the National Trust. And I found it very striking that the National Trust, which you associate with, like, you know, big manor houses and mm. castles and so on, is now doing a serious bit of research on the future of, of Britain's municipal parks because they're so underfunded. And this kind of bit of our, our sort of public history is now under is now under a real threat. And like an actual, you know, the National Trust charity is stepping in to kind of look at what we can do about that. That seems crazy to me. That is so interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, no, I was so like, I was really thrown when, when I got the briefing for that event. It's just that it was not an organisation I expected to be in like the local council funding debate. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that either. Yeah. And obviously that kind of work is really important, particularly, I mean, climate change is like shot up the public agenda recently for reasons of the Extinction Rebellion, putting it sort of on the map, as well as the impending doom (laughs) that our Earth is about to uh, collide with. Yeah, I mean, if you you let parks go to seed or you build on them or you get rid of them or you don't keep funding them, then particularly in cities like London, that just makes the air so much worse than it already is. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, we've been talking about parks. We've been talking wonkish stuff about parks and financing and so on. Let's sort of bring it down to, to, to my level, really. Anoush, what's your favourite park? Oh, there's so much choice. And having grown up in London, I've seen the full gamut of London parks. Okay, top three. Right. Yeah, you know, I really have to say, because of my West London roots, 
and because it's dwarfed by its flashy neighbour. I think Holland Park is a really nice park and it's because of Hyde Park being so nearby and it being the sort of tourist hotspot and everyone knows about it and it's very London. I think Holland Park sometimes gets a little bit forgotten. I had genuinely forgotten it was a park. I thought it was just like a posh area. Yeah, it's a, obviously when you think of Holland Park, you think of those enormous mm. houses. And But actually the, the, the park is, is really lovely. And I have fond memories of going and feeding squirrels there with my family. And I actually once got bitten by a squirrel there. Oh, so, blimey. You know, that was okay. a formative childhood experience. What did you do to offend the squirrel? I don't know, I was feeding it a monkey nut, so it literally bit the hand that feeds, or at least the the five-year-old finger. Yeah, they are. They're very cocky these days. So Holland Park's probably it's got to be my top just because I'm so fond of it from childhood. Second, and this is like a slightly edgy suggestion, is Mylem Park, which I I really like, but it's completely basically unknown unless you live nearby in that area. It's a it's what do they call it? It's just a it's like the hipster strip park. I can't remember what they call it, but it's like it's a very narrow strip, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big long corridor basically of a park and it's got a sort of kind of like a garden bridge type thing that goes over yeah there's Um, literally a green bridge over yeah there's yeah yeah, there's a green bridge and it's got a lovely sort of bit of water and swans and ducks and it's got the art pavilion and the ecology pavilion where they have little exhibitions and people have their weddings there and it's on the canal as well so there's a lot of water and wildlife so it's it's really pretty but I think that's like a bit of a wanky suggestion because obviously it's like not very well known but I do think it's one of my favourite places to go and spend time in London. I'm surprised you didn't go Victoria Park that tends to be the kind of the the standard East London park of choice. Yeah I think Victoria Park is a really nice park and it's one of the best parts of East London. London, but it's just not it's not as exciting like there's not as many different bits to it it's just a very very big park yeah. where you have room for festivals um yeah and rowing right. boats and like a very expensive Sri Lankan brunch my my, <laughs> my hipster choice of London park is uh, the little known Burgess Park in, oh, I don't know that which one. is the big one in in South London between like Bermondsey Woolworth and Peckham oh okay um, yeah I've been there which is yeah. one of those parks that only exists because of the Luftwaffe and they just like <laughs> cleared an area of housing during the Blitz and, and the London County Council as well has decided not to rebuild it. I mean, a couple of reasons I like it. Firstly, they're still finishing it. So when I lived nearby years ago, it still had this kind of scrappy half-finished quality that is gradually sort of becoming a proper nice park like Victoria Park. Yeah. But also what used to be the Surrey Canal ran through there. The Surrey Canal isn't there anymore, so that's mm-hmm. now a cycle path, but the bridges over the Surrey Canal remain. So there's oh, a bri- cool. you can you there is a bridge over a path in the middle of a path. I don't know, <laughs> that just really appeals to me, just the kind of layers of of history. Yeah. One last thing, you said you grew up in West London. Mm-hmm. You now live in East London. Yeah. Obviously West London is worse, but <laughs> but come on, give me your what, what how do you rate them relatively? Yeah, so I grew up in Acton, which is very west, almost suburban, and then I've gone all the way along the mm. central line to Myland. Do your old friends see this as a betrayal? Right. Actually, some of my old friends do still live uh, around Acton, which I <laughs> I actually find baffling because while it's um, it's got everything you need to live in an area, and actually Acton is the best place to live if you want to get out of Acton fast because there's so <laughs> many stations there. So, And I've got a fondness for it, but I don't think it's the best place for people our age, basically, to live. Like, it's very family. Mm. With Crossrail coming, the property prices are going up, and I don't find it a particularly inspiring place as a young person living in London and sort of having fun and, and making the most of, of 
the stuff that it has to offer. There's not a, as, as much for, for my taste going on there. But obviously I go back there a lot to, to visit my family and, yeah. I mean, having grown up in, in the sort of furthest reaches of East London where it turns into Essex, I, I completely refuse to acknowledge the existence of West London. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I was, years ago, I was at a, this is a very Ponzi story, but it gets Ponzier, but years ago I was at a party in New York and I was speaking to a guy about when he asked where I was staying and I told him, and he went, oh. I try never to go above 14th Street. <laughs> and I thought that was the most wonderfully pretentious thing I've ever yeah. heard. So I, I try quite hard not to go west of Hyde Park. If I can avoid <laughs> it. I just don't really acknowledge it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, it is a bit... I mean, the politics there are really interesting. So you've got, like, Boris Johnson's constituency neighbouring John McDonald's constituency around there. So um, I think it's interesting. It's also Ealing and Acton, where I grew up, is, the, I think, the most diverse borough in the country, or one of them. It's up there. Diverse in the sense that Truly, there are so many different mm. people from different backgrounds. And I think that's that's really nice. That's one of the parts of it that, that I loved. Um, obviously, being from an Armenian family, that was good for us too. So Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on and talking about parts. Thanks then, for having me yeah. for the first time. Yeah, I should really have done that at some point in the last three and a half years. <laughs> Just because uh, I got a promotion, now you want me on. <laughs> yeah, now suddenly, suddenly, suddenly I need to impress you, really, is <laughs> what's going on here. But yeah, thank you very much. Thank and, you. And um, if you're listening, go join an outdoor gym while you can. See you next time. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show. And I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.